The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Presenting Season 9, Avalanche, Nightmare, written by Mercedes Lackey and Dennis Lee. Vicky came awake all at once. She always came awake all at once. The last time she'd had a gentle, sleepy awakening had been... Well, she couldn't remember it. She woke with the words of her father ringing through her brain. Hostage 101. If you've been knocked unconscious and taken, don't let your captors know you're conscious until you've explored where you are, without moving, with every sense but your eyes. Okay, Dad. First thing... All her Overwatch 2 implants were deader than last year's leaves. She'd been dumped in a curled position against a wall. She wasn't handcuffed or hobbled, and there wasn't anything over her head. So whoever took her must have control over her in some other way, and must be pretty damn sure of that control. Both the wall and the floor were cold. The wall had caught bits of her hair. It was rough and felt like concrete, at least on the back of her head, while the floor was smooth and felt like linoleum, at least through her gloves. Wait. Two sets of gloves. Hers. Ones she could feel earth magic through. And a different set. That wasn't good. It smelled of mildew and cleaning chemicals. The air wasn't moving. But it was cool in here and the floor and wall were cold, so there must be some air conditioning. She'd been there long enough for the cold to seep into her, so at least an hour. The floor wasn't vibrating, so there was no heavy machinery or traffic anywhere around. So this building was probably some distance from a road, maybe even outside Atlanta altogether. There were no people sounds like conversation in the distance or footfalls. So wherever I am, if there's a lot of guards or something, they're not making any sound I can hear. It was cave quiet, in fact. But there was someone in the room with her. She heard breathing. The kind of raspy breathing an old person who smokes a lot makes. Taking a slightly deeper breath of her own and concentrating, she smelled stale tobacco smoke under the cleaning chemicals. Now, whoever was here could be a guard who smoked, but a guard would presumably be young, not old and wheezing slightly so chances were this was her captor. She had suspicions, but those could wait. Jesus, Clooney Frog, my head hurts. She suspected a concussion. It felt like a concussion. So much for normal senses. Now to look with the magical inner eye. And her environment lit up like a Christmas tree. Layered spells under her, behind her, above her, and on three sides, clearly forming a cube of spells ten feet on a side, probably cast on top of something physical, like a cage. There was a second spell cube on top of that, farther away, probably cast on the room itself. Anti-magic spells, of course. Spells that would keep her from using her magic against anything outside the cage she was in. Spells on the room that would cut off her Overwatch 2 implants from everyone else. And spells on the cage as good as any science fiction force field 
that would keep her inside as effectively as titanium bars. No wonder her captor was confident he could control her. Combine that with the smell of stale tobacco smoke and the wheeze of an old man, and there was only one answer. To what do I owe your repugnant presence, Balanage? she asked, sitting up carefully, and just as carefully opening her eyes. Concrete walls, check. Floor linoleum, probably over concrete. Really good insulator against magic is linoleum. To spellcast the floor took a lot of brute strength, or he painted physical glyphs all over it with something I can't see. Floor wax, maybe. No windows. Correction, windows have been bricked up. Skylight. One metal door in the left-hand wall. And him. Sure enough, there was her great-uncle on her father's side, Bela Ajoranaj, standing, facing her prison, with his arms crossed over his chest. He didn't look nearly as seedy as she had hoped. More like one of those whipcord, tough old white-haired Russian Cossacks from the Georgian mountains who lived to be a hundred and fifty and walked twenty miles before a breakfast of yogurt and horseshoe nails washed down with homemade kumis. He was wearing long, black-hooded robes, because of course he is, which made him look more like Gargamel from the Smurfs than a fierce, evil wizard. Which he was, actually. An evil, fierce wizard. One who had already tried to murder her once because she had destroyed something terrible that belonged to him. He might well be the most formidable solo wizard she knew. He'd certainly waxed her young ass once already. But here was her ace in the hole. He knew nothing about her anymore. She had been under the radar for so long and so very far away from all the traditional sources of magical education, he had no idea what she'd been turning into. Not that he had ever understood mathemagic anyway. He was a rote learner, like most magicians. He had no idea that when you saw magic as math, you could take spells apart and put them together in new ways on the fly, if need be, or that you could invent new spells altogether. As for her techno-shamanism, well, for one thing, he was like most mages and fried anything electronic he touched, and for another, trying to explain that to him would be like trying to explain quantum physics to a toddler. That didn't mean he wasn't dangerous. He was incredibly dangerous and extremely powerful. But he was, without a doubt, underestimating her. If he hadn't been, she'd have been pumped full of tranks, shackled hand and foot, and had a hood over her head. He frowned, clearly not liking her attitude. And let's piss him off some more. Time to channel the genie. Nice dress, she continued. Could use something to pick it up a bit, though. Maybe a snappy purple scarf or a cute little chain belt. Planning on trying out for RuPaul's Drag Race? You should hold your tongue, girl, he snarled. Then show your uncle proper respect. I don't see any uncles, she responded calmly. I see a disgusting, perverted old man the nauseous disowned years ago. This was not bravado or false calm. 
Other than her pounding head, she had descended into a positively serene state of mind. I guess if you contemplate dying often enough, when the moment comes, you've already accepted it. The moment might just have come, for the current situation was very binary. She would definitely escape this magic cage. The bars were wooden slats she could kick or jump or roll through with no effort once the spells on them were gone, and under the cover of taunting Bella, she'd already set in motion the magic it would take to obliterate them. With a little time, she would be able to unweave the spells that had turned a big wooden crate into a powerful, inescapable prison. The prison kept magic from affecting anything outside its barrier. It didn't do squat about stuff that was working inside. So once the magic came down, there were only two ways this would end. Either she would beat Bela Nage once and for all, call her friends in Echo to come get her, and walk out of here after gathering as much intel as she could— or Bella would kill her. Because her friends didn't know where she was, and she had no expectation they would discover what had happened to her. Bella could have used an apport portal, like the one at St. Rhea's, and taken her anywhere in the world. It could be minutes, but more likely it would be weeks or months before they managed to find her. She knew plenty of secrets, and even if he couldn't get any magical ones out of her that he'd understand— there was a lot more that she knew that he could sell. Verd would pay almost anything for her computer passwords, for instance. So she was not going to give him any choice about what was going to happen. If she couldn't escape, she would make sure he didn't profit by kidnapping her. There were too many ways he could use her, and although she could hold out against him for a while, in the end, anyone can be broken. And... She was all right with that. Death was something she had thought about so often that she'd come to terms with it quite some time ago. She would satisfy that vow she'd made to Red to the letter. The cults could pick up the reins. J.M. and Sarah were off the charts. The eggheads were nicely ensconced in their new home, which had been delinked from her magic. Everything would go on just fine without her. In fact, if someone hooked up eight, it would almost be as if she had never left. Meanwhile, until that spell finished its work, she'd make him angry. The angrier he was, the less he would be able to think clearly, and the more he would concentrate on her and not what she was doing. Of course, anger would make him stronger, but that was a risk she had to take. She didn't want him noticing she was destroying her cage, and to do that she had to keep him distracted. Watch your mouth, girl, he growled. I have powerful friends with armies and weapons you can't even dream of. They tell me you've been making all manner of clever toys for this echo you've fallen in with, and I intend to learn how you did it. Wait, what? She stared at him for a moment, and then she began to laugh. What is so amusing? If looks could kill, she'd have been paced. Are you actually saying what I think you're saying? She gasped around gales of laughter that were more than a little bit hysterical. Did you actually throw in with the Kriegers? The Tholians? <laughs> 
he pulled himself up proudly. Ours is a partnership that began before you were even born, child. I have already reaped many rewards from it, and there will be more to come. Doppelganger has seen to every... She fell over on her side. She was laughing so hard, because this was the height of absurdity. Even if he broke her, he could never do what she had done. She could show him over and over, and he would never ever master even the simplest of hacks, much less the masterworks at Overwatch 2 and the memory matrices were. It would be like trying to show a blind man how to paint portraits. And he had no idea that he was demanding something he simply could not have, due to his own limitations. But the real joke was that he'd been suckered by the Nazis. Doppelganger, he stroked your ego, and you were idiot enough to believe him. Oh, my God. Tears stung her eyes. She was laughing so hard. You, idiota, you healer, are you senile? Has Alzheimer's turned your brain to mush? Then something occurred to her, because it was pretty obvious at this point that Doppelganger was, call it, allowed to pursue a private agenda. Doppelganger was probably the only Thulian that knew about Belanage, which meant Belanage was a sucker twice over. He'd been flim-flammed by the shapeshifter. Have you ever met a Thulian besides Doppelganger? She asked, still laughing, getting the words out in gasps. Of course you haven't. They don't give a shit about you. Not the important ones like Valkyria and Ubermensch. <laughs> You're just Doppelganger's little runt boy. <laughs> You're the hot chick on stage, the, the magician's assistant. Is that why you're in that dress? If you want to keep your job, you need to show more leg and cleavage, Belanage. He was slowly turning interesting shades of red and purple. She kept the jabs up, still laughing as if she couldn't stop. She was already in control of herself, but he didn't know that. You're an untermensch. You ball invented there. You're a Hungarian mongrel. There's no need to keep their word with someone like you. It's like lying to a dog. And they'll allow Doppelganger to promise you anything he thinks you want. And as soon as he gets what he wants out of you, it'll be the gas chamber. Or maybe, since they're modern space Nazis, they'll just stand you up against a wall and disintegrate you. <laughs> I'd like to see you pit your magic against a death sphere. She got back up slowly, wiping her eyes with the back of her hand, still chuckling, and gathering her feet under her. Because her spell had done its work, and the entire network of all those carefully layered enchantments on her cage was about to fall apart like panes of glass hit with exactly the right resonating frequency. And that was when a child screamed, somewhere outside the door to this barren concrete room. And again... Then came the wailing cries of more. She felt her eyes widen as realization hit her. You're going to do it. You're going to make the amulet again. Of course I am, you ridiculous child. Now he was laughing. 
My ally needs these children for a little while longer. Then they'll be mine. One among them seems particularly susceptible to my needs. And I will be... You. You fucking monster! I'll kill you! She screamed and flung her arms out wide. And her prison shattered. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Narration and production by Veronica Jaguer at VoicesByVeronica.com. Quality review and production assistance by Laura Nicole at ResonantMoon.com. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series is released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 4.0 license. For previous episodes, check out secretworldchronicle.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the fantastic people at Bayon Books. Find fellow SWC fans on the Facebook group at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Secret World Chronicle. And, as always, thank you for listening.